0: So a couple of years ago, Andy Stanley wrote a book, it's called Irresistible, Um, and in that book, there were a a particularly challenging, well, there were a number of challenging statements made within the book Irresistible, one of which was where Andy challenged the Ten Commandments as having any ongoing validity, and said that, in essence, we're really not, under the Ten Commandments, or any law for that matter. That got a lot of, that, there was a lot of hubbub about that, to say the least. But, you know, I, I thought about that for some reason this week as I was preparing. And I realized Andy's still preaching. I mean, he has a church of some 40,000, seven, eight campuses all over Atlanta. They're shut down, actually, until 2021. They're meeting virtually. But even after all that Andy said right there, he's still rocking along, even after challenging the Ten Commandments. So what I thought today was, I'll do the same thing. I want to bring forth a challenge to the Ten Commandments for you today, particularly number six. Who can tell me which one number six is? There's only ten, so take a shot. Honor your father and mother number five. Six is? Huh? Who's the brave soul? We'll come back to it. How's that? Because you're going to have to figure it out. I, I, can't, I can't leave here in good conscience knowing that no one in my congregation said out loud con- the, the commandment number six. I will feel like a failure. First, though, you know who Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky remember? Anyone read the Brothers Karamazov or De- the Devils or Crime and Punishment? He, it turns out, interestingly, that, that Dostoevsky, like many, 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 many authors, did not have a great affinity for Jewish people. He, turned, he is a very religious person. He was highly... Um, he was Russian Orthodox. But nevertheless, here's a quote from Fyodor Dostoevsky. Much, ha- much unhappiness has come into the world because of bewilderment and things left unsaid. In other words, confuse you lose. That's in essence what he's saying. With that said... Confusion is dangerous. It's particularly dangerous for me up here to say something that is confusing because you expect me to bring forward things that are true that you can take to the bank, right? So it's my best effort at all times to do that, but still nevertheless, I am confusing at times. And last week... We talked about why do we sin, and we looked at our inclinations, right? We looked at our motivations, and things were going really good, although that's probably not the best word to use when describing a conversation about your sin. Um, Things were going really good until I said at the end of it, and you know what? There's a really interesting Jewish teaching that says we should embrace our inclination. And I thought, sounds good. Until later, I got some questions from some confused members of our congregation who said, um, wait a minute, you want me to embrace the evil inclination? That doesn't sound like a good idea to me. And I don't even know how to do that or if I want to do that. So what exactly did you mean? Well, here's the clarification on what I meant. You ready? Ready? What I was actually saying and trying to say to you was that it is important that we understand that God knew what he was doing when he made us, when he put within us a natural and a spiritual inclination. We can call the natural inclination the animal instinct. It sounds a little barbaric and simple, but in essence, that's what it is, the thing in you that God made that drives you to eat and to work and to earn money and to procreate and do these types of things. We talked a lot about that last time, but that those instincts would move us, whether naturally or spiritually, and God knew what he was doing, God made us this way, that we can embrace even the part of us that is natural, that is not spiritual in the sense of super highly connected to God, that we can understand that when we are, are living our lives, it's okay to enjoy the world, and that we're not some horrendous piece of garbage on top of a dump damned by default and just horrible that we have choices we have a choice but when we choose to leave that natural or animal inclination on its own to run wild it takes us to a really bad place at which it becomes the evil inclination because we have left ourselves exposed by not doing the very thing that god gave us the control to do to live as spiritual and natural beings am i making it even more confusing well hang on let me just make it real easy for you and that problem was created in the garden with adam but thanks to david higginbotham for reminding me of something that's in the siddur every single day we pray every single morning this prayer Lead us not into error, transgression, iniquity, temptation, or or disgrace. That sounds somewhat familiar, doesn't it? Lead us not into temptation. Um, you heard that before. Another Jewish guy said that. Really, really smart Jewish guy. That's part of the morning prayers, and it also concludes with this Vial Teshlet Baner Yetzer, harah. Do not let the evil inclination dominate us. It says, help us bend our instincts to be subservient to you. That's what I was trying to communicate. The idea that we are made of flesh and spirit, and you can live in peace, pursuing with the Torah and the Holy Spirit as your guide, both inclinations. Clear? Err? Clear E R, clearer, good. That's last week. When we are tempted to go beyond what is acceptable, we take Paul's advice from Romans and we say, Help us to put these desires and deeds to death. Help us to put these desires and deeds to death. So, in our Elul journey thus far, today we're continuing with step three Elul. The, 40, the 30 days that leading up to the month of Tishrei, 40-day period from 1st Elul to Yom Kippur, the time at which Moses was up on the mountain getting uh, talking with God and receiving this forgiveness that he was going to bring down on these, these tablets. And we've talked about all that. But we also talked about a process that's necessary for believers in this time. First, I told you, I want you to acknowledge that God needs to communicate with you now. I talked to you about, you know, uh, uh, leaning into that process. Secondly, I said you need to accept in the sense of inclinations that drove us to sin, that we did make mistakes this year, that we need to acknowledge those things and understand that our inclinations pushed, that we allowed our inclination to go too far at times, and that resulted in something called sin. And why do we sin? Because we want to, that's why. And when we, well, we talked about that in a whole message last week, so I'm not going to do it again. Third step, you ready? Important Elul third step. Acknowledge, understand, kill it. Put it to death. And this, my friends, for many people is the hardest part. So let's talk. Back to the sixth commandment. What is it? Thou shalt not kill. Actually, it's murder because there are plenty of times when you do actually need to kill. So there's a distinction there. Um, But technically... It turns out that if I look at this commandment from a legal perspective, and my parents always told me I should be a lawyer, I don't know why. I think it was because I argued incessantly and still continue to argue with them on a regular basis. I think that might be why. But anyway, if I look at this from a legal perspective, we actually should violate the Sixth Commandment. We must kill. We must destroy. We must murder Yes Anyone Hands in favor of killing things <laughs> Well let me give you some confidence Romans 8:13 But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live It's murder. And Paul says we should do it. Kill things. Oh, Rabbi. Didn't do so good in English, did you? That's called metaphor, Rabbi. It's a figure of speech. It actually, here's the definition. It's a figure of speech for rhetorical effect that directly refers to one thing by mentioning another. It may provide clarity or identify hidden similarities between two ideas. Ah. I see. Metaphor. I've heard of this. I heard of it once before in a very, very, very confusing thing where people say Yeshua is a sacrifice, but he wasn't really a sacrifice. He was metaphorically a sacrifice. I get it. I like metaphor. It works. So Paul's using metaphor to describe what we must do to control our inclination, our evil inclination. Yeah, Good news. Ten Commandments is still intact. Andy, Stanley, thank you. We don't have to worry about it. There's 10 and then there's another 603, but yeah, okay, I get this. But I like this metaphor idea. How about trying this on? And this is one of the biggest roadblocks to people's spiritual growth Connection, spiritual, and emotional well-being in their lives. Now, that's a pretty big promise, isn't it? That's a pretty big statement. What I'm about to say is that. And it is a blockade that you will face as you go into these high holidays and forget the high holidays for the rest of your life. And not for everyone, but I know for a lot of people that this is a thing. And I know also that from who I know listens here, that at least one person in this room or on live stream needs to hear what I'm going to say. So it might just be for them. If it is, forgive me, humor me, try to stay awake. I'll get you somewhere. Okay. But here's the thing. We are actually pretty good at putting our deeds of the body to death. We're pretty okay with the idea that we shouldn't sin and that we should kill those things, that we should follow Paul's advice. And that happens with a very clear process of which we are in the midst of right now. It is called repentance. It is recognizing an evil deed and saying to God, please, I acknowledge this failure before you. Please, God, forgive me for doing this. And then we make a commitment to not engage. That is the central component of repentance or the components of repentance. And this process right now in Elul is what we're doing if we are willing to acknowledge and let an outside force move on us, and that is God and the Ruach HaKodesh prompting you to a higher spiritual level, that we are willing to accept our failures, admit them before God, repent and say, please, God, help me do this. Now that sounds good shofar, right? That wasn't metaphor. That was a really cheesy joke. Did you like it, though? Just kidding. Here's, here, stick with me for the metaphorical part. Last week's Torah portion, and I maybe could have talked about it then, but it's for this week. Kitetse was the Torah portion. It has a very interesting section in it about killing, capital punishment. It says this in Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 3, 23. If a man is guilty of a capital offense and is put to death, and you impale him on a stake, you must not let his corpse remain on the stake overnight, but must bury him the same day. For an impaled body is an affront to God. You should not defile the land that the Lord your God has giving you to possess. What is that actually saying? It's not difficult. It's very clear. There's no tricks. There's no sarcasm. There's no trick questions here. What is that saying? It's saying this. If a man commits a sin that is worthy of death, he deserves to die. There are particular things for which he was hung. We won't go into that. But he's killed. He's dead. He's murdered. He's hung on a tree. And once that man is dead, it is an affront to God to leave him hanging there. He must be taken down and dealt with, buried. Right? The sin is dan- here, here, Here's the here's the the um, metaphorical part. I think this makes a very very important and powerful point for us to carry with us as we walk through these days of soul searching and repentance and reconnection with God. That process I told you about above about repentance, right? acknowledge, ask for forgiveness, commit to not repeat the sin, that can be compared to the criminal on the tree. That can be compared to the criminal on the tree in this way. If our sin is the criminal, if our sin is the thing that can cause us great harm and danger like a murderous criminal could, It deserves to die. That's what Paul said. You need to put these things to death. It needs to be executed. It needs to be removed from our environment. But that is not the end. It can't stop there because there is a danger that comes from not taking it down and burying it which is what God says must happen with the criminal. And here's the connection. To give something to God, to give this issue to God, and then, and then not let it be dealt with and removed and buried, that is equally as much an affront to God. Because in essence, what we're doing in this is we're saying, you know what? I know there was this real innocent person who hung on a tree who took my sins and he said, I'm forgiven and I can go to God and I can receive forgiveness, but mm, uh, not really. I don't really believe it. I don't really believe it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to like leave it there. I'm going to leave it there and it will remain before me. And that is an affront to God because here's the thing. The completion of the process of repentance is to take it down, acknowledge the gift of God's mercy and grace and then let God take this thing, this criminal, heinous thing put it in the ground and bury it and be done with it and do not come back to it. And there's multiple ways that we can come back to it. But anything less than that, Anything less than pressing on when we've put to death this deed of the body is to allow the sin to continue to live. And, and, and we have to, have to, have to learn to let things go. And for so many people, whether it's one action or a lifetime of regrettable actions or guilt or shame or whatever the thing is, pain over something horrible that was done, it results in this horrible feeling that, oh, well, well, well God, he, he, he's never going to forgive this one. Or, you know, I can't, I, can't, I can't let it go. I can't. I gave it to him and I, I said I'm sorry and I know and I received this forgiveness and all that. But mm, I'm just going to, I'm going to let it stay right up there on the, on the tree. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? That's an affront to God. It's an insult to the mercy and grace that God has for us. We have to let it go. That's the final part of repentance and forgiveness is putting it back here. And Paul says it this way in Philippians, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I which also I was laid hold of by Messiah Yeshua. I'm not perfect. I know there will be other struggles. I'm not there yet, but I'm not going back here to look at the things that God has dealt with in my life and taken down and put away from me. We acknowledge, we confess, we accept, we put it on the tree and we let it die and we let God take it down and we let him bury it because that's what needs to happen. So yeah, metaphorically, thou shalt kill. That's pretty strong language. But how about thou shall lay to rest those things which God has dealt with in your life and not revisit them. And here's the breakthrough, overcome, don't look back, press on, high holiday statement, and it is not metaphorical. Thou shalt not resurrect. Thou shalt not resurrect that which God has done. How much more of an affront to God would that be? If the cursed body hanging on the tree, how much worse for us to revisit these, these things that he's dealt with? Why would we ever want to dig that up when buried to give it an opportunity to affect our lives? Several weeks ago, I told you this message. I gave you a message about, it was called Mighty to Save, and I talked about God's unique ability to resurrect the dead. That only he has. He has. But in the strangest, weirdest way, I realized you too actually do have the power of resurrection. But not to life, to death, because that's what we sometimes like to do with the things that God has killed, destroyed, and buried. We're in Georgia, right? We're still in Georgia, yeah, okay. So there's this show that's filmed down south of us that's called The Walking Dead. I haven't seen this show. It's very, very popular, I know. I'm not sure if it's still on. It's got a lot of seasons. It's about what? Zombies, right? So we were driving recently down through south Georgia where I think they filmed The Walking Dead, and there are a number of billboards Oh, it's in Atlanta. Well, somehow up there affected down south because as we're driving on the highway, there's these billboards, Jesus billboards, okay? But they're the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. They're things like, Jesus hears you, don't get left behind. And it's like, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus going... (laughs) But... Then there's a couple more billboards down and there's zombies, like dead zombie looking people who are supposed to represent the ones that didn't come to Jesus and then you have the other smiling halo folks going, (laughs) (gasps) and Jesus, it's the weirdest representation of the gospel that i've ever seen jesus and the zombie apocalypse don't go there (laughs) but of course because i'm somewhat weird it made me think and i was thinking in this applicable term for our sin And for the things that we give God the access and the power to deal with, and to kill, and to destroy, and to remove from our lives, and take down from the execution tree, and then put them in the ground, and there they should stay, right? But that's not always so easy for us because we want to go back. We want to go back and either engage in the sinful behavior or we want to go back and just say, huh, I, don't, I, can't, I can't really let it go. Some weird guilt thing, I don't know. But here was the crazy application vision I had. As I'm driving down in Jesus and the zombie apocalypse, I'm imagining us when God's done all this and we're going back and we're digging this sin, this nasty, gross, decoded thing up. And it comes out of the ground and it's a sin zombie. That's exactly what it looks like. And that thing, that hellacious, horrible, whatever thing it is in your life, your sin zombie that you dig up, you know what it does? It just like, it's, it just hovers. Or it follows. It follows behind. Picture this Frankenstein-looking sin thing. Or worse of all, when we resurrect what God has dealt with, not only is it behind, but it grabs a hold from behind. So imagine you're trying to press on as Paul says, but yet behind you is Sin Frankenstein zombie going, rrr, 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 rrr. I told you I was weird, but it's a picture, isn't it? Thou shalt not resurrect any of the things that you give to God and ask Him to take and deal with. Let them stay dead where they belong. That's the very important part of the process of repentance, because we can't do what Paul says. We can't. I do not regard myself as of ha, as having laid hold of it. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do: forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Messiah Yeshua. Forgetting what is buried, forgetting what is behind me, I reach forward. Here I am to worship, sings the song, this, this bridge lyric. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. You know that one? Everyone knows that. You want to know the truth? You will never know. You will never know how much that costs. But here's something amazing. God actually doesn't ask you the question. And he does not make you wander back to the cross all the time and look up at the battered, beaten, bruised, bloody body of Yeshua and feel horrendous guilt and shame. That body came down and was buried and was resurrected in the right kind of way so that you can press on toward the mark to the upward calling of God, which is in Messiah, Yeshua. That ain't no sin zombie. That's a holy ghost. No, I'm kidding. The power of that story comes from the burial and the resurrection that brought mercy, it brought forgiveness and empowers us to put those things aside, let them die. But part of that is up to us to not resurrect our sin zombies if that helps you put this into practical application. And these are the days. These are the days to ask. These are the days to hang things on the tree. Deck the halls. No, not that tree. (laughs) Not that tree. Putting to death, killing the deeds of the body that have caused you separation from God over this year or five years or 50 years or however long. And when they're dead, buried, leave them there. Thou shalt not resurrect. We read these words from Micah in just a couple Sundays by the side of the river. As we prepare for Tashlik, which means to cast, casting our sins in this very beautiful and visual, metaphorical representation of God removing our baggage and weight. And the text or Tashlik says from Micah. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity, passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. The depths of the sea, friends, whatever thing it might be that has ever held you back, or keeps you down, or separated, or embarrassed, or unhappy, or disconnected, and God forbid, keeps you in a position of living a life of sin. Kill it. Put it to death. Hang it on the tree. Let it die. Let him bury it. And for God's literal sake, thou shalt not resurrect it. Shabbat Shalom. We're building the kingdom and thankful that you're a part of that mission. If this teaching inspired you, please consider a financial gift to support the work of Shalom Macon. Visit MaconMessianic.com and click Give Online. May the Lord bless and keep you.